Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Happy holidays. This is Everyone's Talking Money. I am your host, Shauna Game. And welcome back to day five of our 12 days of holiday episodes. Now, I know this one was one of your very personal favorite episodes. I got a lot of questions about this. I talked to Ben Hakema, and he is answering the question, how much money is enough? What does financial security look like? And how do you have calming clarity about your money? So there's really a balance between your current spending and your future savings. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, another great one to set you up for the new year. All right, let's start talking. One of the first questions I ask is what I call the billion dollar question. If you woke up tomorrow and you had a billion dollars and 
everything that you ever wanted to spend money on, you could, uh, because I don't think anyone could actually spend a billion dollars. What would your life be? How would it be different? What would you do differently every day? How would you wake up? What would you, who would you give money to? Who would you support? How would you spend your day? Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Have you thought about it yet? Are you open your bank account? There is a billion dollars in there staring back at you. As our guest, Ben Hockema, founder of Illuminate Wealth Management, asked, what would your life look like? How would you spend your time? What would you be doing with that billion dollars? I know, it's a, it's a thinker, right? Well, this question is the backbone for our conversation today as Ben and I strive to help you figure out how much money is enough for you and uncover what are the best ways for you to save and spend your money so you can do all those life things you have always wanted to do. Sure, okay, yes, you could read another article that talks about how much money you need to have saved by X age, but let's be real. That only causes more stress and fear and anxiety around money. So in this episode, you'll learn a healthier way to figure out how much money is enough to fund the life you really, really, really want to live. All right, let's start talking. You know, I think as humans, uh, particularly those of us living in the U.S., there's this weird thing that happens with us, right? We always want more. There's always something more that we're striving for. We we set a goal and then we reach it. And I don't know about you, but this is certainly what happens to me. We aren't just quite satisfied, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, okay, I hit this goal, but now I'm already thinking about what's next. What's around the next corner? What can I strive for? And I think, you know, that can make it really hard to create a financial plan for yourself because it's like the goalpost just consistently keeps moving. And I'm really curious about this idea of figuring out, you know, quote unquote, like what is enough for you? What is enough for you to live off of? What is enough for retirement? And so, I mean, this is kind of the the big, big pie in the sky question, but, you know, how in the world do we start to figure out what that number, what that enough number is mm-hmm. for us individually? It, it's great place to start. And I, I think we could talk the whole time just about that. Um, but I, I think your intro to just the way you describe that, that's the way I've been told many times, you know, I know I don't celebrate my own wins um, because I'm always moving to the next thing. What's the next? And I think most people kind of fall into that, whether it's financial, whether it's goal setting or, or personal things, whatever it is, you look ahead to what else could be. Um, I think the an issue I've seen with a lot of people when they try to answer that question, what is enough, is they focus on the number and not really the why or or how do you arrive at that. And so um, what I do with my clients is is really start when we have a, a, a new client meeting. One of the first questions I ask is what I call the billion dollar question. If you woke up tomorrow and you had a billion dollars and everything that you ever wanted to spend money on, you could, uh, because I don't think anyone could actually spend a billion dollars. What would your life be? How would it be different? What would you do differently every day? How would you wake up? What would you, who would you give money to? Who would you support? How would you spend your day? And when I ask that question and, and even ask it myself, I talked to my wife about that. It changes a lot when you take money off the table as a problem. And now it's not even a factor in, in your decision. 
now you can kind of identify what's really important to you and what gives your life meaning and fulfillment. And then when you add the money number back in, now we have new goals to go towards that really matter to help answer the question, what is enough? I love that. The billion dollar question. Do you get people, like, do they have a certain reaction when you when you ask them to like think about that question? Because I mean, I think everybody would be like, well, I would love to actually have that be as be a, you know, reality in my life. Like I would love to be able to have a billion dollars and be able to do whatever it is I want to do in my life. But do you find that that sort of like opens people up to thinking about things from like a different perspective? I I think it absolutely at least opens up the conversation to get you thinking outside of the scarcity mindset of I don't have enough or I don't have money and, and really think uh, about how your relationship with money impacts your decisions. Um, Once that's not a factor in you, your relationship with money, I mean, even those that are very worried that they're always going to lose it, you know, maybe um, I've got some clients that that don't come from a lot of money. They didn't grow up with money. They're always worried about, um, you know, they had food insecurity, things like that. And so now that they have it, they're always worried about losing it. Well, even w- once you get a billion dollars, that's why I choose that number. Even if you lost half of it, <laughs> you're still fine. <laughs> right. And so yeah. it helps frame the conversation around what matters when the psychology aspect is kind of taken off the table of how you relate to money. Um, and then we can focus on it because now, now I can hear. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I've got a client. Um, this is not his name. We'll call him Mark. Uh, Mark in that didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, and so now, uh, through his job and some stock options and things, he, he has the number. He has the number that the financial projections look great. And yet when we talk, um, there's always that piece of, yes, but I need to get more to protect against this happening. Well, now we know how to frame the conversation. It's not actually about the numbers because the billion dollar question said he wants to spend time with his kids. He wants to actually have uh, a reverse retirement, retire early while his kids are young, spend time with them, and then go find something else to do just to make ends meet even if he, you know, he doesn't really need a lot at that point, but just to give him something to do once his kids are gone and grown. Great. Now we can talk about that because that's what's actually important to him. That's how he answers the billion dollar question is I would spend, I would quit my job tomorrow and spend time with my family while they're still around because relationships are the most important thing to me. And now every time he brings up, yes, but I need more, I'm worried about losing it. I can reframe the conversation to that's great. Money is just a tool to reach your goals, though. Uh, and here's what your goals actually are. So you talk about relationship with money. I mean, that's something that is very near and dear to my heart. It's it's my passion to help people dissect and understand their relationship with money. And so I would love to throw it out to you because I, I have some thoughts on this, too. I thought this might be fun to just chat about for a minute. Why do you think it's important that we figure out what our relationship with money is? Like, what is that? Why does that matter? I, I believe it truly is a relationship. And, uh, and so just like any, any relationship with, with a person, um, the history of your relationship matters. It's going to impact how you, um, how you build on that relationship, uh, how much you trust the other person is, is kind of the history there. And, it continues on. If you're going to have a relationship the rest of your life with a person, um, that, you know, you're going to learn and change, but it's still going to be kind of based in some sort of foundation. And I had, a uh, my longest, um, 
running client actually just passed away. He was 97. And there are things that he would still talk about at 97 that he experienced as a 16-year-old that impacted how he thought about spending money at the end of his life, how he thought about giving money to other people. And so I think a lot of people miss the fact that it is a lifelong relationship that you have with money. And if you don't understand that, there's a lot of things you would do that seem irrational or seem um, like something that you're, you feel shame about. You know, Why did I do it this way? Why did I spend money on this or not spend m- money on it? I said I really wanted that. And, and again, it all kind of goes back to there's a foundation money relationship growing up, uh, You know, your first job, your first time that you spent money, you kind of felt shame about and all of that translates. And I don't think you ever get over it completely. I agree. Yeah. And I love that you talk about this idea of the billion dollar question, thinking about it from this perspective and, and, you know, where we're sort of like taking money off the table to figure out what we really want. And, you know, I always ask people like, okay, you say you want to do this. And so my follow-up question is, why you know and like we're we're always trying to kind of like dig down like what is the what is the what is the the true foundation like the real goal like what are we really trying to uncover and i i'm wondering if you have any suggestions for for somebody listening who maybe hasn't gone through this practice of figuring out like what it is that i actually truly want how do you how do you get to that like that bottom thing of what it, what it what it really is what you really want to like strive for in your life and the goals that you really want to set that's a great question the i'm not going to attribute this to the right person so i'm not even going to try i know <laughs> i know i heard this uh, multiple times and uh, it's probably some famous person so someone listening probably knows who it is um but i've i, I use the uh, ask why six times uh, it's kind of the formula. So, um, you know, somebody says, I want to spend time with my kids. Great. Why do you want to do that? And then they answer the question and say, okay, so why is that important to you? Okay. Why is that? And you ask it six times and and by the fifth or sixth time, <laughs> you've really gotten that answer. And so, um, kind of that's my roundabout way to say, I don't actually think you can do this on your own. Um, I'm a big believer in having, whether it's a therapist or, uh, you know, a, a partner or just a friend that you, that knows you well that you can be vulnerable with um, to help you through that process. Uh, I think it's very difficult to get outside of yourself by yourself. Um, And so there's, you know, it's the same reason that I personally have a financial planner uh, because there are blind spots in everybody on your relationship with money, on your relationship with other people. It's good to have kind of a third party to kind of point things out to you. So whether it's, it's a professional or a friend, uh, helping work through that and just give them the permission to ask you why six, six times as you go through, I think really helps. (laughs) Without, without getting totally annoyed with them. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, okay. Let's say then we've done this, we've done this practice. We've asked our why six times and we kind of get to the root, to the, to the goals, the vision that we want. How do we then practically ourselves like look at like, okay, here's the amount of money I have. Like, how do I get this money to to come around and kind of work with this vision and these goals? Like, how can somebody do this who maybe isn't working with a financial planner figure this out? 
yeah, that you know, it's always um, how do you execute on this, right? <laughs> it's, right it's, exactly. a great, it's a great theory, but uh, <laughs> let's actually do something with it. So there's a couple different ways that you can approach it. Um, you know, one is I, I think you actually have to start with a really good understanding of what you have now. And so uh, whether it's, you know, I'm working with a new client, you're doing it yourself. Let's make sure that you know Here's all all the assets. Here's all the things that are positive that I have. Here's the savings accounts, and what does that actually mean? Um, you know, understand different types of of taxation. You know, taxes are always going to be taken out, so let's make sure you understand. What oh, come on, Ben, that's I know. No fun. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I, I didn't say this is going to be fun. But this is going to be impactful. It's better than fun. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> then you're able to um, see what you have, and then also what you owe. And for a lot of people, when you go through that why question. Um, and what's important to you realizing you don't have any debt uh, when you have the billion dollars, <laughs> that's, that's really helpful. And so I think uh, that can take some weight off of someone's shoulders. Um, I'll give you an example. So my wife and I uh, are the opposite in our relationship with money. Um, it isn't really from a foundation. We grew up in, in similar, you know, type of households, but um, she is extremely conservative and, uh, we actually do a risk tolerance for clients and she scores lower than any client that I have, uh, on how much risk <laughs> she's willing to take. I started my own business, uh, left a, a job that I could have just stayed at probably long-term, um, provided for my family, been fine. And I, instead I took the risk happened to be right before COVID, uh, January, 2020 and, uh, launched my business and it didn't feel risky at all to me. Um, and that's because I have a high risk tolerance. And so when we talk about money in our family, debt, as an example, since I brought that up is a very different thing. In my mind, debt is a tool you can use to help you in, in a smart way, achieve goals. If you're very risk averse, like my wife is any dollar of debt, mortgage included, just feels really bad. <laughs> it feels like something you don't want to have. And so part of that billion dollar question, if I were to ask that to her, if she was a client, um, I think that would immediately reveal this weight off the shoulders of, oh, great. I would not owe anybody anything. I wouldn't owe any money for anybody else. And so the debt par portion, to kind of get back to the execution, you've got the assets, but also want to see how much do you owe? How much debt or liabilities do you have? And how do you feel about those? Um, again, we're talking about psychology. How do you feel about having the debt? How does it look? Where are you now? Uh, and so to, to answer your question, then we can kind of loop back around because I've said a lot, is just you have to start with what do you have before you know where you're going. And I don't want to underestimate that question of how do you feel? Because I ask that I've asked that for years of people when I was a practicing CFP and I ask people now when they, uh, you know, I say that I, I help people with their relationship with money and they, you know, they say back to me, well, what does that mean? And I always say, well, let me start with this one question. It seems very simple, but it's very complex. How do you feel about money? And, you know, I, no matter who it is, I watch somebody like squirm a little bit because they really haven't thought about money from that perspective. But I think like what you're saying particularly is important when you're looking at relationship with money and and more so why you do or don't do the things that you do, right? That's ultimately how we how we act out our relationship with money. It really is important to understand this. Like my my husband is is more of an anxious person around money and 
that's because he had a very different upbringing than I had. And, um, you know, things make him a little bit more nervous. I'm more like yourself. I've run a business since I was in college. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the risks, um, and, um, probably are a little bit, a little bit too much. Okay. With the risks. But I think, you know, particularly when we're talking about a couple, like that's really important to understand those dynamics because the way you're going to look and the way you're going to feel and the way you're going to act around the money is really important, especially when you're trying to figure out what this enough number is. Right. We So we use a framework um, and it's a spectrum. It's not always, but I think people fall into one of three categories in their, how they think about money. Um, one, one is kind of like, you know, you and me, it's, it's the, uh, it's an opportunity. Money is an opportunity to achieve our goals or to, to pursue a better life. That's more fulfilling, whatever that is. Um, so opportunity is kind of one, one way. Another that a lot of people have is money gives me security or having money makes me feel secure. So maybe that's your husband. Maybe it's, it's my wife. I want money. I want that billion dollars. So I don't, ever get anxious anymore. Um, and so that's what I'm pursuing. And then the third is a vulnerability. And that's just the idea that uh, for some people, the way they've grown up in their relationship with money is if I have money, now I actually am more vulnerable to people taking advantage of me. They're going to try to steal it from me. They're going mm, to try to right. take from me. And knowing where you fall on those, and again, it's fluid, depends on the situation. Um, but I think people tend to fall in one of those three categories. Uh, that really helps kind of at least start that conversation of what do you think about money or how do you feel about money? Uh, and that then leads into everything else we've talked about. I was reading an article this morning and it talked about this idea that goals are more like guesses. Like we don't really know where we're going to be in 15, 17, 20 years, whatever the, whatever that time frame is. It's just, it's more of a guess. And you know, that, that these goals and, and guesses, if you will, they should remain a little bit fluid because we, again, we don't know. We don't know what life is going to serve up to us. But again, if we're coming back to this idea of what is enough and, and framing that around a number, how then do we look at something like, you know, planning for a big goal, you know, whether it's it's buying a house or starting a business or, you know, retirement or whatever that might be that that feels pretty big to us. How do we begin to like move towards that knowing that you know all the variables might change at some point in time like we don't know what the stock market's going to do we don't know what our health's going to be like we don't know any of these things Right it's very important to understand the assumptions that that go into any goal setting or any planning or any of these numbers um but you still need to have some sort of goal or some sort of number in mind so um it's a lot easier to focus on goals specifically. You know, I want to, uh, I want to retire or I want to pay for my kid's college or I want to start a business. Each of those independently, you can kind of back in. And so for a lot of people uh, doing kind of what I call the compartmentalization of their money um, of have, okay, I've got this bucket for this goal in mind. And so, okay, I want to start a business. Let's you know, be very conservative on how much I'm going to make 
let's assume it's going to take twice as long for me to build, especially if you're an opportunity person. Um, let's let's double how long I think it's going to take because you <laughs> tend to be more optimistic. You think it's going to happen faster. I don't know faster. what you're talking about. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and so um, that's where, again, knowing where you are, it's better. So, okay, your opportunity, that means you're going to build a business. That's awesome. Uh, let's double the the cash you think that you need. So how are you going to make, you know, actually get down to what can we cut expenses personally? If we're going to start this business, here's the money, the capital I need up front. Uh, great. I've got that number. Now, how long can I go without a paycheck or how long can I go with very little pulling out of the business? Uh, let's again, double that. Let's have this money set aside um, and build towards that. Okay. That's going to be in one bucket. In another bucket, you've got retirement. Maybe you're not going to pursue both at the same time. The opportunity person is going to say, well, my business is going to pay for the retirement. If they're married to a security person, they're going to say, that's great, but your business might fail. So we also need to have money set aside for retirement. So now you have, okay, um, this is what it's going to cost me to to live today. We've got to take inflation into account. Um, all these things can be done on a spreadsheet, a, a software. You know, There's a lot of tools online to kind of come up with it. Where it gets very challenging for people is if you don't compartmentalize the different goals, then it becomes significantly overwhelming to decide where to put money or how much do I need to save in total or how much is enough in total for all of these. Uh, but we don't want to forget the why behind it. And so that business side, I want to go start a business. Ask the six questions of why. Why do I want to do that? What is it in me that's motivating me to do it? It doesn't mean it's bad or good. Just understand why and make sure that as you're pursuing that for the business, both saving for it and then starting it, that it is not something that you're going to quit. So for some people, they want to start a business because they're just unhappy with their job. And so they're running from something, not to something. And they don't know what else to do. And if you don't have that why question on what is enough, it doesn't matter how much you save. That business is going to fail if you don't answer the question of why I'm doing this and understand that I want to do this, not that I'm running away from something. You will not be fulfilled no matter how successful that business is. It won't be enough, even though on paper, the dollar amount may work out. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. 
Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete.me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete.me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete.me is not just a one-time service. Delete.me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. That's so interesting. Like, it's interesting to really dive into that and think about it. (laughs) It brings like a whole new perspective to to goals. And I love love the idea of, of buckets. Like, for me, my brain, the way I think, putting things in buckets and categories. And I mean, I even have, you know, separate savings accounts for different goals. And like, for me, just my brain is always thinking and kind of one of those brains that is just like always on overdrive. 
So setting up like a system like that just makes it a lot easier for me. But I could see how, you know, that really benefits anybody because then you can also write like track the progress towards each of those goals. Exactly. I I mean, my paycheck, I get uh, direct deposited to five different places, six if you include the 401k. So I have that intentionally. So I'm not having to go in and manually do something. It is happening automatically, I think that's a, I'm a big believer in automating things uh, because it, it gets you yeah. out of the psychology side. Um, you know, I got this great opportunity over here. Let's forget this goal I had that's 10 <laughs> years from now. Let's go do this one. Uh, no, let's automate it. I've got my opportunity, you know, funds that I'm going to use that I've saved towards. That's all I can use. Uh, and so, you know, protect you from yourself or, you know, again, flip side, if you're a security person, Make sure you're investing for the long run uh, because goals that are decades in the future, compound uh, growth really, really matters and you won't see the progress. But um, I automate my paycheck and I think um, almost everybody can benefit from having money going to different buckets that you know exactly what it is. It also helps with just communication. Uh, Again, I mentioned my wife a couple of times, communication with her on this is what this accounts for. This is why we're doing it this way. Now you know we are building towards this. We're building f- towards this college fund for our kids or or something like that. I want to talk a little bit about retirement because we are we are living in a retirement savings crisis. There was an article that I read from the National Institute on Retirement Security and I want to just chat about this for a second. It said that the average working household has virtually no retirement savings. When all the households are included, not just households with retirement accounts, the medium retirement account balance is $3,000 for all working age households and 12000 near retirement. So the findings confirm that the quote unquote American dream of retiring comfortably after a lifetime of work is pretty much impossible for many people. So you know, Ben, they're like, there's so many things you mentioned inflation, like there's so many things that just tug on our wallets in everyday life, let alone if we have kids and all those expenses, there's just a lot. And it almost doesn't matter how much money we make. You know, there's, there's just a lot of money that is kind of flowing out of us. So, you know, without a real like rah-rah talk, how do we make savings a priority? Like, how do we make this all work so that we can, we can beat some of these numbers here? Uh, you're really coming at me with the big questions now. <laughs> These are um, I'm rolling up the sleeves. Yes, the there is absolutely a savings and retirement crisis, and there is a lot of things that I think you know big picture need to happen. Um, but if we can say, okay, you you have enough money to make ends meet, let's just um assume that because honestly, there's not a lot I can do uh, or a lot that you can do if there you're cut your expenses down to the bare bones and still are negative every month. Um, There's no savings to be had if you've done that. For everybody else, we're making decisions uh, every day, whether intentionally or or not um, subconsciously, about spending today or spending the future. I, I like to reframe savings as future spending. Because for some people, they don't like the idea of savings because it feels like they're denying themselves something today. Back in the psychology, right? Exactly. Yeah. But if you think of it as spending now or spending later, you're still spending that money. Um, And so if we can think about, okay, how can we 
balance what you have today and what you will have later if you choose not to save intentionally or unintentionally choose not to save you are choosing to not have money to spend later and once you think of it from a spending perspective instead of a forced saving perspective i think that it actually it all comes down to expenses not income income is great but spending and expenses in the short term are the most important. And so I kind of walk people through this concept. If you save 10% of your money, 10% of your income, it will take you nine years of saving to save one year worth of spending Uh, because you're saving 10%. You're spending 90%. It takes nine years of that to, to save a whole year's worth of spending. Mm, If you switch that, to 20%, well, that's a big number, I admit that, but let's just say 20%, you've cut that down in two ways. You've cut down the amount of time. Um, it will only take you four years to save enough because you're saving 20% a year, but you're only spending 80. So every dollar that you're saving from your income is actually doing double work for you. It's saving the money. It's also keeping you from spending it. And so you don't, you have this exponential growth that eventually happens once you get really above the 20% level that you are spending a whole lot less, which means you need to save even less. Uh, But because you're saving more, it's had this big impact going from 20% savings to 25% is only a 5% move. It cuts a whole year off of the savings that you need to to make um, because it only takes three years to save if you save 25% of your income to save one year's worth of expenses. And so once we kind of work through that, um, it becomes a game for a lot of people to say, this is fun to save because now I'm framing it in, look how much money I have, how many years I can go without ever making another dollar. And I know I have what I need. I know what I have to cover my expenses. And so now you're cutting expenses because you're playing this game and you're winning rather than, um, you know, I'm denying yourself Well, I'm saving money because I'm, you know, I, I feel like I need to, but I really want to go buy this over here. Um, it, it changes again. It's all about psychology. Yeah. The gamification is huge. I'm a big, like competitive person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's fun to twist it a little bit and be competitive with yourself. And, you know, use some of these tricks, some of these psychology tricks on yourself to, to, to motivate yourself. And I think, you know, when we're talking about, I, I love how you laid out um, this idea of, of thinking about saving for the future, because I think it makes it really easy to think about, oh, well, if I've saved, you know, X percent more, like it's just getting me closer and closer. But, you know, the reality, right, is, is nobody's coming to save us. <laughs> We have to we have to save ourselves. We don't, at least in the U.S., we don't live in a country where there there is some great you know retirement benefit when we retire. Or, you know, right. uh, companies anymore don't don't have this. It is all on our shoulders. And you know, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this. This is kind of an out there question, but how do we, how like, how do we change this like how do we how do we get people more motivated to to save themselves when it comes to retirement i i think there uh it starts with a realization of of just everything you said where we actually are uh in this country and uh there's no more company pensions 
people are, you know, are concerned about social security running out and, and, you know, we know medical costs are going up, um, costs of everything are going up. And so it is what it is, is kind of the first thing to start with, which is recognize what the reality is. And so it's not that we, you can work the same job for 40 years and get a pension and live off the pension the rest of your life. It doesn't exist anymore. And so you have to take responsibility to do that yourself. So there are ways, there actually are ways to recreate a pension. Um, I'm not a proponent of annuities in general. I'm a fee-only planner. I don't make any money on commissions. Um, that means when I look at an annuity product, the first thing I ask is how much commission is somebody else going to get and why do they deserve that? Uh, and so we could talk through all that. But um, you can actually recreate, whether it's with a deferred annuity or just a savings account that's invested, an actual income stream to actually create your own pension. You can take responsibility to do it, but it starts with understanding no one else is going to save you. And so let's let's do it. Okay, what worked for, you know, parents or grandparents when they retired? Um, they had a pension. They knew they had income coming in. How we can we create that with an annuity or a bond portfolio or whatever that is? Um, great. What else do you want to do? You want to have money to spend on travel. Okay, that's got to be in the plan and we have to invest that in the long run. And you can't you know, you should travel some now, but maybe have a retirement travel fund that, you know, I'm investing this money specifically for my fund money when I'm retired. My other retirement account is my, um, you know, I just, you know, put food on the table, (laughs) things like that. So there are ways to kind of recreate the same security people have felt. Um, but as you said, it, no one's coming to save you. and, And it starts with that realization. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. 
We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the daily book club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The host, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away, and back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I was reading your bio and um, I wanted to talk about your philosophy thing because I think it really plays into what we're talking about here. You say that you're determined to help people overcome the shame marketing that is rampant in today's financial industry and turn their stress surrounding money into calming clarity that comes on the path to achieving their greatest potential. Man, there's so many good words in there to, <laughs> to, to pull out, but what what is it with money and shame? You know, why do we use shame to make people feel terrible about about where they're at with their money or what their money goals are or how they're spending their money? There are two ways. Um, <laughs> there, there are two ways to get people to be motivated to make a change, um, and the one that is the what I think is the easiest path, but ethically morally wrong is from, uh, you know, shame, shame marketing, uh, focusing on here's all the things you're doing wrong. Don't you feel really bad about yourself? Therefore you should hire me and I will save you from yourself. And you no longer have to feel that way. Focus on all the negatives. That is the easiest path. And so i think that a lot of of whether it's financial blogs or you know financial advisors um who are trying to sell something that's their focus because it's all about how do i selfishly make more money uh rather than actually helping people um but that's yeah. the world we live in right and so that's where a lot of focus is because it does motivate people to make a change um what I would prefer to do is if we all said, we want to reach, we, we have untapped potential individually. I think every person does. And one big barrier or hindrance to reaching that is the, re is the relationship with money, is the shame that you just taught yourself or you've been told over time or, um, you know, you, maybe you're the scarcity person or the security person and you're, and you're worried about pursuing something. If we can open that up, um, there's a whole lot more that everyone can do. And if we don't focus so much on the money, 
and focus on relationships with other people? What do I bring to the world? What can I do that provides fulfillment? Um, that can make everyone uh, better and, and honestly make the world a better place. I know that sounds cliche, but uh, I truly believe that money is more of a hangup for people. Um, and that is probably Absolutely. the biggest thing that if we can get past that, uh, everything, things can be a whole lot better. Yeah. And I, I also want to talk about this, this calming clarity, because I think, you know, we look at money being the number one cause of stress in people's lives. And we have just talked, you know, for the last half an hour about how do we unstress that, that piece of our lives? How do we not make money be, you know, the big giant monster in the room? And how do we bring it down to a place where like, okay, we can set up these, these systems, we can easily have money, you know, automatically going places. Like there is a way we can dissect this and create this and we can work on our relationship with money. Uh, tell me about like calming clarity. Like how do we find that? How do we bring that into our lives? Is it just doing these, uh, this process and these practices that we've been talking about? Uh, I, I think, uh, again, kind of goes back to the shame as kind of the first step, right? It's um, understanding your relationship with money and, and where do you feel this shame? Because that's that's adding anxiety. That's not obviously the opposite of, of calming clarity. And, um, <laughs> and I think there's just so much where you, f- you feel or, or you see in your bank account, whatever, you, you think you understand money. You think you know what that means. But no one's ever taught you. There's no great system out there. There's no education. You learn from your parents the positives and the negatives as they did. Even if they didn't tell you anything, they they taught you a little bit just by uh, you know seeing how they they approach money, and and so we all think we're experts because you see it all the time, right? <laughs> but very few people actually are. And you know, I spend all of my time working with people, helping them with their relationship with money and and similar to what you're doing, you know, on here of just um, talking through all of the different facets of money. And it's a lot more complex than I think we, most people, the average person gives money credit for, I guess. And so that calming clarity is starts with being able to say, I don't know everything and that's okay. I don't have to know everything. I need to st- you know, seek out the right people, um, or learn myself, you know, find the right, uh, podcasts and blogs and, and places to get good information that again is framed on how can I make this better? Not here's what you're doing wrong. Um, and then that leads to this clarity of understanding of it's okay that I make mistakes because everyone does. It's okay that, I may have regrets on what could have happened or, or what I should have done differently, or I should have invested in a Roth IRA at 18 and I waited till I was, you know, 38, whatever it is. Um, that's great that you feel that way. We can't change the past. Let's look to the future on what can we do that reduces anxiety today? What can you do uh, for all of these things of compartmentalization and, and automation and, and different pieces to reduce the stress that money provides? But it all has to start with being open and vulnerable about you don't know everything about money, and that's okay. And I think another piece of of shame, I'm curious what your thoughts are. You know, there's a lot of talk, especially if we look at like TikTok or social media or something like that about, 
the the fire movement that started, you know, a few years ago. This idea of basically like restricting yourself for for a time to save as much as you can so you no longer have to work and you can retire early. And I think that, you know, I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of friends kind of in my in my circle that gosh, those types of movements like make them feel maybe even more shame because that's not the reality for them. And then they start to wonder like, should I be doing that as well? Should I be doing one of these like restrictive budget diets? And and how do I know what it, what is right or wrong? Like, what do you think of these kind of movements that, that come along? Uh, so you, you can't see me, but I, I just got like angry th- hearing the question because <laughs> I feel very strongly, uh, and this is a great example of shame and shame marketing. Um, and TikTok's a good example, but everything about um, whether it's fire movement or, or anything else, so much of it is marketed as this is the one and only way. And if you aren't good enough to do it this way, there's something wrong with you and you should feel ashamed. And um, if you are struggling with money, just do it my way and it will work. Uh, and that's that's the way things are marketed and the way that they're framed. And it gets a lot of views on YouTube and TikTok and things, but it is not reality and it, it does not net positive in the world. Um, <laughs> for some small subset of people, Things that, as you said, extreme budget diets, like um, what I'd call kind of the the original lean fire movement, which was cut expenses to the bare bones, have nothing left. Um, you better be, you know, riding your bike everywhere. You never go anywhere you can't ride your bike to. Um, you sell your house and, and live in a tiny house, whatever that is, because that's what's required to make the numbers look so great. And if you are worried about money, and you're not doing these things, it's all on you. Uh, that only works for a very small group of people. And for those people that it works for, that's awesome. And that brings them fulfillment. If that answers those questions on on what is enough, that's great. Um, but most people don't want to live that way. And yet they get all this advice to cut down to the bare bones. And then they say, I I was worried about money. Now I'm really worried about money because I cut my expenses and I'm still worried. And so now I must be doing something wrong. And now I feel shame. And and you said this was going to be okay. And it just leads to this spiral of things getting worse and worse and, and the opposite of the calming clarity uh, that we had. And so fire movement in theory is great, but it, it only works for a group of people. Um, the general ideas, the high level ideas of, you know, save, you know, more you save, the better, you know, you're cutting expenses, you're able to retire early. Let's focus on the, you know, now and not just push everything off to the future. Those are all great concepts. Uh, The execution just leads to a lot more shame in the world. So I think, Ben, like we're all, we're all listening. We're trying to figure out these three things with money. I think if I can kind of boil it down, it's that, you know, we want to stress less, obviously, when it comes to money. We want to Figure out how do we make it easy? How do we bring that, you know, clarity in? And three, want to figure out like how do we bring our money goals into reality? So as we wrap up, kind of like pulling everything together that we that we talked about, any pointers for for someone listening or any, you know, motivational talk for how we can bring all of those things together, how we can stress less, make it easy, and and also be able to actually achieve our money goals. Yes, I think you start with recognizing 
we all make mistakes with money, even the the experts. Um, working through that shame piece, that's number one. That brings some, hopefully, some clarity um, and opens the door to better possibilities. Um, find one, you know, let's start small. Find one goal that is achievable, uh, that you can work towards, that you can kind of help calculate. So maybe that's, you know, you need... You, you want a new car or, or a, a different car in the future. And so great. I need to save this. And, and it's a smaller goal than, you know, retirement. And so it's more achievable and, and shorter term and build on those wins. Um, I think there's a lot of, of great psychology of just having the small successes and let them build on there. Uh, but always keep it in mind. If you have that goal, why is that a goal? And, um, you know, this is all the same things we talked about, but um, by doing it kind of those ways, you can help reinforce good habits and build on the success that you have. And and like everything else, compounding's so valuable. And so compounding on your wins, compounding on, you know, not feeling the shame and, and have seeing how calm um, as you work towards things positively that, you know, fit with what you actually care about, I, I think can be really powerful. Um, and, you know, let's give it, let's cut ourselves some slack though. There are some conversations you can just come back to over and over again and find something new in them each time. And this, I really think is one of those. Of course, I love the billion dollar question, <laughs> but I also really enjoyed it when Ben shared that we all tend to fit in these three categories when we think about money. One is we see it as opportunity. Two, we see it as security, right? And the money's going to make us safe. And three, we see it as vulnerable. If we have money, people are going to take advantage of us. So knowing where you're at with money helps figure out how you feel about money and then the steps you need to take to set and achieve your goals. It's really, it's just brilliant. I would listen to that piece of this track over and over and over again. So if you want to learn more about Ben, you can head to his website at illuminatewm.com. That link will be in the show notes. Where there's lots of good stuff, you can also check out his new free ebook for parents about how to talk to your kids about money at dollarsandkids.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to head on over to whatever app you're listening to this podcast in right now. Give us some stars, some likes, a rating and review. We've got this big goal of hitting a thousand reviews and we're still a couple hundred short, so I could really use your help. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with somebody right now. That's what helps this podcast keep growing. Thank you so much, my friend. I will see you back here in a few days.